Excel, you just said, hey, yo! I, I swear we need to put that on a shirt or something. It's so, it's so, new merch, new merch. You know what you guys should do? Because y'all are, y'all are cool and y'all are like up to date on stuff. If you want to see a special kind of merch happen, you should DM the, the XL Youth Instagram. Just tell them, we want bucket hats. We want bracelets. We want beanies again. We want this. Just tell us. Tell us what you want, okay? And then we'll try to make it happen. It'll be socks. Toe socks. Ew. Who's wearing toe socks right now? Don't raise your hand. Leave. I'm just playing. <laughs> You're like, ah, great. Hey, I'm so excited with, to be with you guys tonight. Um, I spent four days doing army stuff, and I'm over it, okay? I spent four days working on Humvees and being covered in grease and coolant, and now I get to hang out with you guys, and I'd rather be here. So I'm so glad. If you got your Bible, take it out. Come on, if you got your Bible, wave it up in the air like you just do care. If you got your Bible. Oh, yeah, I like, look at that, Bible after Bible. I've got a Maxwell Leadership Bible right now. It's a, it's a hardback, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So, like, when I'm really preaching, you know, I got to knock some of y'all out with this. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Guys, turn your Bible to Psalm 32. We have been in a series called Summer in the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms. And tonight, you can leave that up. Tonight, we are in part two of the study of Psalm 32. Last week, we talked about finding joy and finding life in forgiveness. We talked about uh, the different types of misunderstandings on forgiveness. You know, some of these things that you and I misunderstand when it comes to forgiveness. Does anybody remember one? Maybe we have one called the drill sergeant God, right? Where we think God's just going to beat the beat us into submission and, and whoop on us in order for us to forgive. You got one? The credit card forgiveness. Yes, we talked about the credit card forgiveness misunderstanding where we think we could just do what we want and God will just wipe the slate clean and pay it off. But you and I know after last week that that is not the case that forgiveness is something that you and I need to pursue and chase after. That we find joy. We are finding joy. That there's joy in finding forgiveness. There's joy in finding forgiveness, which should be the next slide. There's joy in finding forgiveness and forgiveness. If you got Psalm 32, go ahead, bring it out. Would you stand to your feet as we read God's word? We are just going to be reading verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4, we talked about 1 and 2 last week, so we're diving into 3 and 4. If you got it, say, uh-huh. uh-huh. If you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I'm going to read 1 through 4 right now. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Here's where we're going to be at tonight. For when I kept silent... My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, that it's well, that it's thriving, that, uh, Lord, you want to reveal yourself through your word tonight. And so, God, we say yes to you. We say yes to your presence. This is your word. 
not mine. So God, don't allow me to preach it any way you didn't intend it, Lord. Speak truth tonight, because we know this, that truth sets us free. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen. amen. Go ahead, find your seat. Turn to your neighbor and whisper, hey, yo. Hey, yo, hey, yo. All right, here we go. Psalm 32 is a very special psalm because the surrounding theme is forgiveness. You don't see a lot, a lot, a lot about forgiveness in the Bible outside of the Gospels, right? You know, Jesus has forgiven all of our sins. Here's a moment, I didn't give you this history lesson last time, but here's a moment that scholars believe uh, come after David having an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. Here's a short story. He sees a girl bathing on her roof, number one. I guess that was custom, but that's a little weird. You know what I'm saying? It's a little weird. Just going to be on the roof just like, oh, where's my loofah? Right? King David says, yo, Shorty, what it is? And decides to do something really horrible, and that's bring her into the palace. And you can kind of guess what they did, right? It doesn't stop there, the madness of this moment. He doesn't just have an affair with this woman. He sends her husband to the front lines during a battle, knowing well that he was going to die. So not only is David, you know, committing adultery, now David's a murderer. Whoa, wait a minute. We just talked about Psalm 63, right? This is like the giant slaying, right? The like the awesome David, right? This is the same guy. This is the same guy. This is the same guy that killed Goliath, and became king. And this is also the same guy that was in an emotional distress and depression hiding away in a cave for his life. And so you saw us post an Instagram reel today where I talked about you and I, even some of the most perfect people, we fail. We make mistakes. So here is David doing one of the most horrible things. He's murdering someone and he's also committing adultery. So there's another psalm, and we'll get to that another time, where he confesses and he pours out his heart. And he says, God, this is, this, is, this is where I'm at, and it's horrible. We pick up in Psalm 32, and scholars believe that this is another part, the second part of his confession. And so to give you context, David's not just talking about forgiveness for no reason, right? That's kind of awkward. But hey, man, how was your day? Forgiveness. Like, it's, that's just weird. He's not just talking about it for no reason. So something is stirring his heart. And what they like to believe is that he was recalling that moment when he confessed. And so tonight, I want to talk about the danger of hidden sin. There is danger in hiding sin. Immediately when I just said that title, a lot of you went... <laughs> And so I can, I can tell when we start talking about hiding sin, a lot of us like to immediately shut off, shut down, or want to run because no one likes feeling exposed. No one likes being embarrassed for some of the things that they do behind closed doors or in the dark. And so a lot of us, when we get into youth services where we're going to be talking about confessing your sin, a lot of you don't want to be here because it's uncomfortable. But what if I told you that there was freedom in this? What if I told you that the voice in your head telling you to 
to shut off right now. That voice in your head that's trying to justify your sin, to make it seem like it's not that big of a deal, which is what we talked about last week. What if I told you that those lies, those voices are lies, and they are trying to keep you chained to the sin that you find yourself chained to and stuck to, and now you feel the need to hide it. David in Psalm 32, in these next two verses, is going to tell us what really is the consequences of hiding sin, of hiding our sin. And there is a danger in hiding sin. I want you to write that down. Because that's a reality that you and I have to understand and face. Because we think hiding sin doesn't affect anybody. It's a lie. It's not just going to affect you, but like, a, like one weed in a yard, it'll spread. And just like poison, it'll slowly creep into everything and every part of your lives. That's why there is a danger in hiding sin. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Leave that verse up there. Again, uh, this is one of those verses where I'm like, okay, what are you trying to say? All right, we're talking about bones. We're talking about, you know, all this stuff. What is he saying? So what's happening here? He's saying that by hiding his sin, it's physically affecting him. It's physically bothering him. Because I've been hiding this sin for so long, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm wasting away. I can feel it. It's like I drag it with me wherever I go. It's like weights in my, on my ankles. I just, it's physically bothering me. And so the psalmist knows firsthand the freedom of forgiveness because uh, the psalmist has felt the oppression of trying to conceal his sin, of trying to hide it. Notice that it says this, for when I, what? Say it again, for when I, when I kept, y'all know I like doing this. I can't do, I always got to find that one word that's really going to put everything into perspective. And this is how you and I should read the Bible, right? When we read it line by line, let's look at some of these words. For when I kept, notice he says kept, he refused to acknowledge his sin before God. When you keep on doing something, like when you tell your sibling to stop doing something and they keep doing it, right? They are failing to acknowledge, right? You feel me? I really feel like, yeah, I hate that, right? Right? Same. They keep doing it. They're failing to acknowledge how you're feeling, right? They're annoying you. They're bothering you. They're hurting your feelings, right? You're over it. So you and I have a tendency to hide our sins and we keep hiding it. For when I kept silent, meaning he was active in keeping silent, that nothing was shutting his mouth. Nothing was keeping it from him. Like there was no outside force or, or source that was shutting his sin away. It was him. And it's important for you and I to know that nobody else in your life is keeping your sin a secret than you. It's you. You keep doing it. You keep hiding your sin. And so I think a lot of us need to get to a place where we, where we, where we confess that. And it's like, what, what the psychologists say? They're like, you never know that you have a problem until you acknowledge that you have a problem. That's you. For when I kept silent, we are active in keeping silent, especially when it comes to our sin. And so what was the result of this? 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. The result was that his sin ate him up. It bothered him. It was always on his mind. I feel the Holy Spirit on this tonight. I really do. And part of it is because this was me when I was your age. I was an expert secret keeper, especially when it came to sin. How do I know and how do you know that you are keeping sin hidden? A lot of you, and how do I know, how do we know if sin is eating us up, eating us alive, bothering us? Some of you think more about your sin throughout the day than anything else. Some of you that are dealing with certain things, certain hidden sins, certain addictions, it's on your mind all the time, even when you don't want it to be. You know what that is? That is your sin. It's eating you alive. It's eating you alive. And notice this. Look at verse four. For day and night, your hand, whose hand? He's talking about God. So we say your hand. He's talking about God's hand. And this doesn't sound comfortable right here. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. And then he says this word, Selah. So to lighten the mood just a little bit before we get into the nitty gritty. Now we understand you and I have a bad tendency of hiding sin. And we will keep doing it until we understand that there's freedom for us. And that freedom is only found in forgiveness. And so knowing me, I like to look at words. I see this word Selah at the bottom of that. And I'm like, what is that? That sounds like a white girl's name. I'll just play it. So sorry. <laughs> oh, I said that. It's whatever. It really does, right? So I'm like, what does this word mean? What What does that even mean? So, so I had to text a friend of mine. I had to text a friend of mine. He's finally back from vacation. I texted my good friend, Pastor Vocab, uh, and this is what he had to say about the word sailor. Go ahead, show it. So we said, I said, welcome back. Quick question. He said, bro, I just got back. Uh, really, I didn't care, right? It's early in the morning, it's 9 a.m. He said, what's your question? I said, in this psalm and a few others, we see the word Selah, like, what's that all about? And so he said, the word Selah is found in the poetic books of the Old Testament, which we would say is the Psalms. It occurs how many times? 74 times in the Bible. So in the whole Bible, 74 times in the Bible, 71 of those times is found in the Psalms. And three times in Habakkuk. I said, so it's pretty important, right? Like when you see something repeated in scripture, that's something to, to pay attention to, right? Like when your mom tells you to throw out the garbage 10 times, you probably should have done it like after the fifth time, right? Or the first, right? So it's pretty important. He says, yeah, no one really knows the true meaning of Stella, but scholars believe it. it's a point in a song where you pause to think about what was just said. That's pretty interesting. So then I said, go to the next slide. Like an instrumental, right? Or like when the worship team plays without singing. How many of you have ever been in a service where, you know, kind of at the end of, of altar there or the worship set, you know, the band kind of just played. And he said, you got it. Sometimes you and I need to take a moment to really understand what's being said. What's being said. So I said, so whenever I see the word Selah in the Bible, I should chill out there for a minute. He said, exactly. God is trying to speak to you. 
So when you see Selah, go back and read right before you got to Selah. Then ask yourself, what is this trying to say? Or why is this specific line so important? I said, sweet, thanks. I feel like I get it. We missed you at Burgers and Bibles. He said, tell the new sixth graders welcome to Excel for me. So welcome to Excel to the sixth graders. If you don't know who that is, that's Pastor Vocab. He's a great friend of mine. So we kind of know what Selah means, right? It's a pause. You know, like in your, in, in your favorite worship song, there's, sometimes there's a moment where it's just the keyboard playing and like no one's singing. And it's that moment right there that just somehow it gets you. When I got called into ministry, I was in eighth grade. Any eighth graders in the house? Any eighth graders? Yeah, yeah, okay. One? All right. Two? I was, I was in eighth grade. I was sitting in my house. I was watching a DVD. Y'all, y'all know what DVDs are? All right, cool, cool, cool. I'm just playing. <laughs> I was watching a DVD of a worship group from Australia called Planet Shakers. And there was a song on there called Healer. And there was a moment in the part of the song where all they had was the piano and the pad playing. And I didn't know what it was, so I called it like a hum. It was just like this, this music. That, it was just music. No one was singing. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me clear as day. And I said, God, whatever this is, if that's what you're asking me to do, I'll do that for the rest of my life. And sure enough, God called me into worship ministry right there. But it was a moment where I took time to pause. I took time to sit in God's presence. When was the last time you sat in God's presence without the lyrics, without the big crazy songs, and you sat there and you listened for them? When was the last time you read your Bible and you read a line that really hit you and instead of continuing, you just, you sat there for a moment? And you ask, why is that resonating with me? That's what Selah is. Selah is this moment where the Bible's saying, hey, here's an instrumental. I want you to think about what just happened. I want you to think about what was just said. So we see Selah appear, as I'm here, sorry. We see Selah appear right after he says, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Pull up verse four. It's like, I want you to think about that for a second. God's hand was heavy on him, was heavy upon him. I like the way this put it, David's dryness and misery were actually a good thing. That sounds crazy, right? Wait, like, since when is misery a good thing, right? Like, that's weird. Like, if you like, like, this isn't no Wednesday Adams type stuff, right? Like, we're not the Adams family. We're not, like, into misery and just torture. That's, like, weird, okay? Like, most of the time, people who are in misery and in agony and are burdened are, like, not enjoying it, right? Would you say so? But this is saying that David's dryness and misery was actually good. Why? Because it means he, in fact, is a child of God. What do I mean by that? It means that the promises that he can hold on to, he knows that through God's promises, he will not be allowed to stay comfortable in his sin. Do you want to know what the devil would love for you to do? Is be comfortable in your sin. And there are some of you tonight and you're comfortable in your sin. 
straight up. Straight up. You're comfortable in your sin. That sin that you've been hiding from your parents. That sin you've been hiding from, from your friends. That sin you think you're hiding from God. You have kicked up your feet and you're comfortable in it. And so what David is saying is God's grace and his righteousness and his holiness is weighing heavy on me. And he's saying that's a good thing. That's a good thing because that lets me know that where I'm at is not comfortable. That's God putting a little pressure on you. He's saying, hey, what you're doing right now is not good. And so David sees this as a positive. He says, when I feel God's pressure, when I feel his hand lay heavy on me, it's not because he's trying to crush me. It's because he's trying to make sure I don't get comfortable in my sin. You see, the one who feels no misery and no dryness should be the one that should be very concerned. I wonder, and maybe you might be here, and we're going to get to that tonight. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to this altar and get real, real quick. But there's some of you tonight that you stopped feeling dry, and you stopped feeling misery, and you don't feel anything anymore. I'm more concerned about you than someone who feels the weight, and it's because you've gotten too comfortable in your sin. And you don't feel, you want to know what that weight is? You want to know what that heavy upon me is? Conviction. What's conviction? It's, it's a red flag that goes off in your head that what you're doing is not good. It's a red flag that goes off in your head that says you should go to God about this. You should go to him about this. But instead, you and I do what sometimes we do best is that we run and we hide. David Looking back, he understood this, that his misery was directly connected to the oppression of the unresolved sin and rebellion against God. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. David understood that the misery he was in was directly connected to the oppression by unresolved sin and rebellion against God. Okay, so... Let me break it down for you even more. Some of you feel like you're depressed. You're not depressed. You're oppressed. You're like, I'm stressed. No, you're oppressed. Here's what I'm saying about this. Some of you think you're dealing with mental illnesses and mood swings and things like that. But the reality is what you are dealing with is your hidden sin that is eating you alive, that is eating you up. And it's causing all these mood swings. It's causing this depression. It is causing this oppression over your life. And so, listen, do I think there's mental illness? 100%. Do I believe in medications for it? Yes. Do I believe in counseling and psychiatrists? Absolutely. But I do believe that there are some things in your life that God can break off of you and release you from if you were to just confess the hidden sin. David is physically bothered by this sin. It is, it is all over him. I've heard stories of people with sicknesses, physical sicknesses, that the second they confessed their sin, it was gone. It was just gone. And so what I'm saying is, it may not be that you're depressed, it just means that you're oppressed because your misery is directly connected to you being comfortable in your sin. And I want you to hear me tonight. I'm not trying to belittle anybody that deals with some of those, those mental issues. But what I'm saying is there's nothing that my God can't free anyone from. Yeah. And that anything that is not of God is obviously evil. Yeah. 
And if he's conquered that, why don't, why, why won't we want that? Why don't we want that for ourselves? You and I trade freedom for what? For a few seconds of pleasure? For a relationship we never meant to be in? For a high that's going to fade in five minutes? You want to trade freedom for that? If you put it in that situation, a lot of us, if I put your freedom and your eternity in front of you, I said, here's freedom from everything. An eternity clean and pure. And here's the vape, or here's the weed pen, or here's the blunt, or here's the alcohol, or here's the whatever, right? If I put, a lot of you would be like, it's a no-brainer. I want the freedom. But yet, every day, you and I trade our freedom for what? Sin. And then we wonder where God is and we wonder why things are happening in our lives. We wonder why we're sick. We wonder why we're depressed. We wonder why our emotions are out of control. It is because you have allowed sin to be the ruler of your life. And sin is destruction. It, it's, like, it's like you planting an apple seed expecting bananas. It doesn't make sense. So you can't blame God for what's happening in your life if you've been sowing sin seeds. That's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. And so a lot of us think that we're just, we're just dealing with emotional stuff. No, there is sin in your life, and it's directly connected. Those mood swings, how you're feeling. I know there's someone here. Those mood swings, the depression. I'm saying it's directly connected to the sin that you're involved in. And I love you enough tonight to call you out on it. Because I had someone do the same thing for me. Charles Spurgeon, who's a famous theologian, says this. Go ahead and throw that next slide up. God's hand is very helpful when it lifts, right? But it is awful when it presses down. Better a world on the shoulder like Atlas than God's hand on the heart like David. It's like it's great when God lifts you up, but when he starts to put a little pressure on you, He's like, that sounds mean. That, sounds, that doesn't sound like a nice, kind God. That doesn't sound like him at all. Sometimes we fail to realize why God hates sin. He hates it. Okay? He hates it. I'm not going to sit up here and preach like this happy feel gospel, okay? This is not going to happen. You can go to another church for that. I'm going to give you what's up. God hates sin with a capital H. He hates it. He can't stand to be around it. And that discouraged me when I first learned that because I'm like, whoa, but that's me. That's me. I sin all the time. Does that mean God doesn't want to be with me? Does that mean God hates me? Sometimes we think that God's laws are over strict and they're just rules forced on us for no good reason. We think that the sin is this way. We try to hide it because we think it's no big deal, but don't want others to find out or God to find out because they will overreact for some bizarre reason, right? We hide our sin because we don't want people to overreact. And pop off on us, like our parents. Hopefully, we realize that it's silly to think that we'd be able to hide something from God. We deceive ourselves by thinking anything we do escapes God's notice. He sees it all. <laughs> that was terrifying for me at first. I'm like, God sees when I, yep. He saw me when I said, yep, yep. He saw that night when you told your parents you were going to go to this person's house and went to a party. He saw it. He saw it. 
He saw when you brought the stuff that you shouldn't bring to spring breakaway. He saw it. He saw you smoked in the bathroom. I might not have saw it. God saw it. So to think that you and I can hide anything from God is just silly. It's silly. Because God sees it. And that should send a shiver down your spine, but it should also be a relief. Because God saw it and he still chose you. God saw you in your sin and he still chose you. God saw you in your misery and in your mess and he still chose you. If that doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks, I don't know what will. God saw me in all of my violence and he still chose me and he still loved me. I couldn't help but figure out God doesn't hate me at all. He loves me. And he wants the best for me. We need to realize God doesn't hate sin because he hates us. He hates sin because he loves us. I want you to write that down or take a picture of it. God doesn't hate sin because he hates us. He hates sin because he loves us. He loves you. With everything. Romans 6 Chapter, chapter 6, verse 23 says this. The wages of sin is death. Death is what sin pays. When we engage in sin, we receive death. Death is not the external punishment of God for sin. Death is the internal and consistent consequence of sin. You've heard me talk about it all the time. But there's a price to pay to be in God's presence. And if it wasn't for Jesus, you and I would have to pay that price. And we can't. We can't pay that price. We were were never going to be good enough until he sends his son, Jesus. You see, refusing to acknowledge our sin is also refusal to acknowledge what sin is. And sin is death. It hardens us. It makes us harder to yield to God. And ultimately, we begin to experience the death God desires to free us from. You're like, why does my life suck right now? Why can't I catch a break? Why can't I experience the freedom we're talking about? It's because you have unconfessed sin in your life. You do. And I'm going to give you time at the altar tonight to confess your sins. Not to me, because who am I? Because I need to be down here. But to him. And, and, and I just know without a shadow of doubt. I can promise you that as you start to pour out your confession before God. You're going to start to feel the weight lift off of you. You'll feel his hand lift you up. But why do we run? Why do we hide? Why do we run and hide? Because we talked about how silly it was. Number one. We hide because we think we're in trouble kind of true a little bit like sin gets us in a lot of trouble right we hide because we think we're in trouble number two we run because we like our sin there's one that no one wants to say we hide our sin because we secretly we like it and 
And I would rather you admit it than not. I like being high all the time. That might be you tonight. I like the way she makes me feel. I like the way he makes me feel. God wants me to give that up, but low-key pastor is I'm not going to lie to you. I like it. So now I'm stuck because I enjoy what I do because it's different. There's some people that sin and they don't like it, but they do it anyway. But there are some people and they just like what they do. And so we run and hide from God and we run and hide our sin because we like it. Number three, we also run from God because we're worried about what he might do to us in his anger. You ever just not wanted to tell your parents about your report card? Raise your hand if that's ever been you. See, that's been me. That's been me. Y'all want to know a crazy story real quick? One time, I, I came home with a really bad report card. This is crazy. This is crazy. Y'all going to laugh at me. So I went to the bathroom before I showed my mom. I was, I like, was trying to get myself hyped up because I know she's going to whoop me. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference between getting spanked and getting whooped, right? How many of y'all been whooped before? You know what I'm saying? You're like, yeah, right before tonight. <laughs> I got whooped before I got here and I can't sit right. I have to like lean to the side. I was like, she's going to whoop me. I mean, I got a C, a C minus, and just D's all over the place. Like D minus, D plus, all this. I had an F in math. I'm like, this is, this is bad. This is really bad. So I go in the bathroom. True story. This has kind of nothing to do with the sermon. But I start, I'm embarrassed. I start hitting myself in the face. I start like, yeah, I'm like getting ready to like, to, to face my mom. I'm like, you know, if I beat myself up and get my adrenaline pumping, then like maybe it won't hurt as bad. So I'm legit in the bathroom just, just punching myself in the face because I was so worried about what my mom was going to do to me. So I don't know if she heard me, but I come out the bathroom. I got my adrenaline up, right? I got two pairs of drawers on, you know, so it won't hurt. I know y'all be layering. Stop lying. Y'all be, y'all used to layer your pants so y'all don't feel the whooping. So I go to my mom. I was like, <laughs> right? I hand her the report card. She goes, well, did you try? And I was like, I don't know how to respond to that, right? Like, I'm like, if I answer, are you going to hit me? You know, it's going to be like, yes, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm trying and I, I know I got places to work on and I'm just pretty distracted. She goes, you know, you need to, you need to find someone at school that can help you, you know, talk to your teachers. I was like, you're not mad or nothing? She's like, no, I, you need help. We, we got to get you your grades up so you can go to Lakeview or wherever school I wanted to go to at the time. And she's like, I'm like, okay, are you sure? You sure you don't want to kill me? Like, you don't want to beat me up? I think she heard me slapping myself around and she was like, he's doing it for me. <laughs> I think she heard me and she was like, spank Israel, check, right? Like, I was so afraid to tell my mom. My mom wasn't even mad at me. My mom loves me. And in that moment, she wanted to help me. A lot of you think you have to beat yourself up before you can come to God. And you don't have to. You can just come to him because he's not mad at you. At one point he was. 
He was mad at the whole world. But because he sent his son Jesus to die for you to pay that price, now you can show him your report card and say, hey, I want to help you with this. You don't have to beat yourself up. I feel like spiritually, some of you, before you even come on a Thursday or a Sunday, before you do anything spiritual, you feel like you have to beat yourself up just to be in God's presence. I'm saying you don't have to do that anymore. You could just be with him because he loves you. Another story, just because it's my dad's birthday, I want to tell a story about my dad. I used to be very angry and violent. And we had our, our water shut off in the apartment, which happened all the time. And I was so upset because I just felt broke. <laughs> I just felt broke. I knew we were broke. I needed to use the bathroom really bad. The one where you got to sit, you know what I'm saying? And uh, my older brother said, no, nah, man, you can't use the bathroom. We don't have any water. Like we, we didn't pay the water bill. And I was so embarrassed about that. And I was so angry that, that in the middle of me screaming at him, and I got to go, you know what I'm saying? I'll do anything to go somewhere. I took my elbow and I elbowed through a solid wood door, straight through, boom, on a Wednesday night before youth. Blood and, and splinters everywhere. And now all of a sudden my dad has to pay for the water bill and a new door. So instead of facing my dad, I decided to do what every junior high student would do in that moment, and that's pack a bag and attempt to run away. <laughs> y'all know. Y'all know. Hey, tell me y'all haven't thought about running away. You're like, I ain't trying to get whooped. I'm trying to run away. Me and He-Man are out. We out. You got, and you don't even, time out, you don't even pack right to run away. You got toys, like you got some clothes, you got like your favorite CD, all right, like your whatever, and then you go. Like you don't have the basic necessities to live out on the street. Where are you going? You ain't going nowhere. So I like, you know, you know, I pack some of my action figures, all right, Spider-Man, all right, I got my, I got my Captain Underpants book, right, all right, sweet, you know what I'm saying, awesome, that's, it. that's all I got, sandwich, done, I got an Uncrustable, and that's all I need, right, so I'm like getting ready to go, I told my brother, I said, I'm leaving, I'm tired of this, dude, I'm out of here, dude, I'm out, he's like, all right, <laughs> Pastor One, who was here at Spring Breakaway, literally said, all right, man, I think he knew I was bluffing, but in that moment, I was so serious, and I was afraid of what my dad was going to do. My dad, too, had a temper. And when his temper and my temper collided, World War III. So with blood and splinters on my arm, I didn't even care to clean it up. I went downstairs on Belmont, I'm sorry, on Addison and Lockwood. There's an apartment building right there on the corner. And I head downstairs, and the Holy Spirit stopped me. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm out of here. We can't afford water. We can't do anything. You're not helping us. And instead of running away, I was going to. I sat at the bottom of the steps and I cried. I was so angry. I was so mad at God. I was mad at myself. I was afraid of what my dad was going to do to me. And, this, and I actually, true story, I took one step outside because I had made up my mind. I was going to make a mistake. I was actually going to walk away. I don't know where I was going to go, but I was going to go somewhere. The second, I, I, can't, I can't make this up. The second I opened the door to the, to the alleyway and take one step out, 
here comes my dad and my mom from some kind of event, pull up right to the front. And then I'm like, dang, it's over. I'm going to die now. I'm going to bleed out while he's punching me in the face. It's going to be a horrible time. My dad comes upstairs. I'm in my room. Some of you have done this. I'm in my room. And it's like that angry cry when you're just like this. You know what I'm saying? You're like this. Just <laughs> All my boys know what I'm talking about. All the guys be crying like this for some reason. My dad talks to my older brother, goes into the room and sees the door, sits next to me. And I'm just getting ready to get embarrassed. I'm getting ready to be ridiculed. I'm I'm prepping myself to get a whooping. And he asked me if I'm okay. He said, I don't care about the door. I care about you. I care that one day, if you don't work on this anger, that could be someone's face. And then we're in real trouble. But are you okay? Do you need anything? Don't worry about the door. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God wants to sit next to you in your sin. And he's asking you tonight, hey, are you okay? It's kind of a weird question, right? Because he sees you and he knows everything. But there's something special with saying, no, I'm not good. And I remember telling my dad, I said, I hate feeling poor. I hate being broke. And I confessed. I confessed in that moment. And I thought my confession would pull me away from my dad because he'd be disgusted with me. It did the opposite. Me and my dad got closer. He was now able to understand what was going on in my head, what was happening. He was able to help me, but it came from a confession. And there's some of you tonight that think if you were to ever vocalize what's happening inside of your heart and in your head and with your hands, that God would, you, that you would have to brace for impact, that God would just beat you up for it or be disgusted by you. God doesn't hate sin because he hates you. He hates sin because he loves you and he wants to help you. So my encouragement to you tonight, can I get, can I actually, can I get Emily? Sorry, Emily. Sorry, Ara. I want you to pray for people. Whatever song, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Um, my encouragement to you is this, as I close. Stop running. Stop hiding. Don't hide your sin anymore. It's going to, it's going to terrorize you. I can tell story after story after story, but something happened to me when I was a child. Something very bad happened to me that launched me into a world that I was never meant to be in. And for years, I harbored unforgiveness and bitterness. Why I was angry is because I was involved in a sin that I felt like I shouldn't have been in. For years, I kept it away. I kept it hidden. Until slowly but surely it started creeping and finding its way out. And then sooner or later, it's all over. It's all that I thought about. It's all that I wanted to do. And it ate me up. I couldn't function anymore and I didn't feel like myself. I felt like I had worn so many masks 
that I forgot what my skin looks like. And that's some of you tonight. You come to church, you go into your house, and you put on these masks, and you forgot what your skin looks like. You feel like you have to be something that if your sin got out, you'd be ruined. And that's not true. If your sin got out, you'd be saved. You'd be healed. You'd be delivered. Look at verse five and seven with me, because this is our hope. This is what David says. He says, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm not going to run anymore, God. Don't let me walk out of this alleyway. Stop me, Lord. Stop these kids. My prayer for you tonight is that God would stop you like he stopped me. And so David says this, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. He quotes himself. He says, I said, I will confess. I will. Not I might. Not if I have time. Not if the day is right or the weather's right. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what was the result? It wasn't that God punched him in the face. It wasn't that God threw him to the side and abandoned him. It wasn't God saying, I wish you were like your brother. I wish you were like your sister. Why can't you be more like your cousins? It wasn't anything like that. What did God, what did he say? And he said, and you forgave. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then he says, Selah, stop. What do we have to do in this moment? Have to read it again. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you what? Come on, say it louder. Say it like he forgave you. You what? The iniquity of my sin. The psalmist finally stops running. What he finds is forgiveness. What he finds is a God who wants him to be free from the burden of sin. Some of you are running. You're running from God. You're running from your sin. You're just running. You're running. And you're saying, Pastor Izzy, I see this forgiveness you're talking about. I hear about it. But that was a hundred miles ago and I'm so far off. I've said that. I've said, I've said to mentors of mine, listen, man, I'm so far gone. And I don't even feel like it was my fault. But you want me to embrace forgiveness. Forgiveness was forgiveness is that way, and I don't have the strength to journey back. And I felt the Holy Spirit told me to write this for you tonight. It's this last slide. It says, forgiveness is on every corner that you run past. Forgiveness is on every corner that you run past. What am I trying to say? That you will never be too far gone from his love, and you will never be too far gone for his forgiveness. You said, I'm 100 miles. Well, that's 100 miles for forgiveness to follow you. You said, I'm 1,000 miles away from redemption. And I say, no, 1,000 miles is not, that, that's a centimeter to God's love and forgiveness for you. You want God's forgiveness? Just look at the corner you're about to hit. You said, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of feeling the way I'm feeling. 
I'm tired of this addiction. I'm tired of the way I think about myself. I'm tired of this eating disorder. I'm tired of not liking my parents. I'm tired of fighting with my dad. I'm tired of being bitter. I'm tired of being resentful. I'm tired. I'm tired of the same sex attraction. I'm tired of all these things. I know this sin is bothering you, God, and it bothers me, and I don't know what to do. And what I'm here for you tonight is to tell you this stop running, stop hiding, and confess. Confess. You can confess it to me. You can confess it to a leader tonight, but that does nothing. I can't save you. I can't save you. Your leaders can't save you. God can. And he has saved you. And there are leaders here who have gone through this confession. And it may not mean that that issue was solved right away but immediately what they've done is brought something to the light and when it's in the light it can get dealt with when it's in the light it can be seen and God can handle it so instead of anger the psalmist finds love instead of burden he finds rest instead of destruction he finds deliverance he realizes that God is a hiding place, a safe place to run to, not run from. You can run to him in times of trouble. God perseveres us. God delivers us, even from ourselves, especially from ourselves. You see, hiding from God is pointless. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So that is why the, the New Testament, the Greek word for confession means to agree. We also see the word amen mean this. When we confess our sins, we aren't telling God anything he doesn't already know. We're simply agreeing with him about it. When we do that, when we confess, Excel, listen, we are finally in a place to see him transform us by removing it from our lives. With every head bowed and eyes closed. Even if I'm speaking to one person, that's one person. But I know there's several of you in here that there are things that are going on in your life that God wants to deliver you from, but he can't because you are hiding your sin. God wants to free you. God wants to deliver you. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He's not ashamed of you. He's proud of you. He doesn't want to punish you. He wants to promise you. But you can't and you will not experience the freedom that is found, the joy that is found in forgiveness if you're too busy in the danger of hidden sin. there's anyone here tonight you say I'm tired of running pastor I want to confess with no one looking around I just want you to slip your hand up there's one you're not alone who else yeah come on come on awesome here's what we're going to do because we're a family and I don't want those those two individuals or three individuals to feel alone. 
like I say all the time, that responding to God's word is not an option. So can we do this? Can we stand to our feet? Can I get all my leaders to line up the front here? I want to give you a Selah moment. And this is going to be uncomfortable because we're not used to this. These leaders have been through some of really the toughest things. I don't know what's happening there. Some of the toughest things that you are either facing or going to face, and they're standing right here. And they made it. Another lie that the enemy likes to try to convince you is that you'll never get out of this. It'll always be there. It's not true. Every leader here has a story and has had a confession. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to force anyone to come up here. So if you just need prayer and you need to just talk to somebody, and maybe more importantly, let's spread out all the way to just give a little bit more privacy to people. If you need God to help you, and you need to confess something, I want you to come. I want you to come right now. Just come. Just step out of your seat. Find a leader to come pray for you. I'm going to pray right now. Look, there's one. You're not alone. Two. Listen, I'm going to start praying. And if you need to confess, if you just need to get it off your chest, stop running tonight. Don't hide it because he sees it anyway. Let him help you. I'm going to pray. And if you need prayer, come find one of these leaders. Lord, we know that your presence is here. We know that your Holy Spirit is here. And Lord, I've done my part of the, of the job. I've preached your word as best as I can. And now, God, I pray that you, wouldn't, you won't allow students to sit by and sit and hide in their sin. But you would call them and convict them and bring them forward, Lord. Lord, I know that there's something important and special with stepping out and doing this. And so, God, put it on the heart of every person, Lord, to find themselves coming before you and bringing things to the light. Come on, I want you to just take a moment, a nice Selah moment. I want you to think about what we just talked about. And if you still need to come to the front,